With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. In this weekly show, the Husker Online team will give you the latest insight on Husker football, basketball, baseball, and of course, recruiting. Now, here's your host, Husker Online publisher, Sean Callahan. Hello and welcome again here to a, another edition of the Husker Online Show. It's supposed to be a pregame preview show for Saturday's game with Wisconsin. Thankfully, Robin Washington later will be joined here by Nate Klaus in the show as well to talk more about Ohio State and recruiting. Uh, but thankfully, Robin Washington, we didn't tape on Wednesday because a lot has happened um, this week in the world of Nebraska football in Wisconsin. And you knew things were going to get kind of silly the minute that Graham Mertz positive came out. And um, it, it's been kind of a, a whirlwind because the Badgers are the first team in the conference that has had a high-profile player like Graham Mertz, the former U.S. All- or the All-American quarterback out of high school um, who looked outstanding in week one, test positive uh, for COVID-19, which means he's out 21 days. Then that led to an entire – PCR testing, not antigen testing, which is the normal daily protocol of the entire Badger program, uh, which brought out six more player positives and six more staff positives, including Badger head coach Paul Christ. Well, then that led to them going to the colors of red-orange, or excuse me, orange-red. Players were on the orange side. Staff and personnel were on the red side. Um, If you are red-red, automatic Big Ten step in, shut things down. They were at a point where it was discretionary. That allowed Wisconsin to make the call. Um, They opted to not play this weekend, which left Nebraska without a football game. And then it led Nebraska to try to find a football game with Tennessee Chattanooga for about $200,000 to $250,000 in Lincoln. Um, Both parties agreed to play this game verbally pending pending a Big Ten Council of Chancellors and Presidents vote. And you, you, you just kind of knew, Robin, um, at least I had that feeling, you know, when I was talking about it kind of behind the scenes Wednesday night, I was not holding out much hope um, because it, it just didn't seem like they would get the full nine-vote support. There was support for them to play this game by some teams in this league, but they didn't get the full support to move forward, and that's unfortunate. Yeah, if, if we've learned anything, the pending Big Ten approval usually is a death sentence when it comes to anything Nebraska wants to try to accomplish in terms of playing football in 2020. So that was a major caveat in this whole discussion, uh, but uh, it kind of shows that how quickly that thing came about to where they not only found an opponent, but that opponent had already gone through uh, an entire program-wide uh, PCR test, and they were all negative. They had the trucks loaded. They were ready to go, and then – you know, it got shot down. That shows you that Nebraska had had this as on the back burner as maybe a potential plan B under the assumption that a game would get canceled when you're trying to play nine games in nine weeks with zero wiggle room and no opportunity for postponement. Uh, I mean, they, they wanted to have another option and people are asking, well, why would you even bring it up? Because, you know, they, you already were told no, that you can't play non-conference games. 
Well, the difference was when they were first told no, it's because that game was postponed. It was going, the season was going to be postponed till 2021. So technically that season's games were still going to be played. It's different now because the game that was on their schedule is canceled and will not be made up in Nebraska. And it was left. canceled by Wisconsin's choice. Yes. This, like if Nebraska. It wasn't issued by the league. It had nothing to do with Nebraska. It was because Wisconsin didn't feel comfortable, which. That's the, their progress. Yes. Within the, the rules as they're written, that's, that's well within their rights. But it's also should be, in my opinion, and a lot of others that within Nebraska's rights to be able to replace that game, especially in a season where you are putting a minimum on playing six games to even compete for your conference championship. So right out of the bat, Nebraska's at a competitive disadvantage within its own division by zero fault of its own. And, and the Big Ten is not allowing them to make that up. So it's frustrating. Um, Nebraska gave it a shot. You know, they, they had everything. Their ducks lined up, ready to make this happen. And once again, the Big Ten said, you know, nope, this is thinking way too far outside the box. We're going to stay with our little narrow uh, scope and just try to play as many games as we can under these very uh, thin ice rules that we've set in place. <laughs> and you just knew it was too good to be true. I mean, you weren't going to get basically Wisconsin coming in here with Joe Bowserman and have Eric Shenander just running engage eight blitzes the entire game. That's a, that's an old video game reference. Um, the old eight man blitz real ones, no engage eight engage eight blitzes where they just feasted on a Wisconsin quarterback who would never, would never normally see the field and win the game. Um, it just, that was too good to be true. I mean, it, victories against Wisconsin don't come in. Maybe they wouldn't have won the game. Who knows? But the point spread went from like 11 to basically a pick em. Um, The moment we knew that the Badgers were going to be playing essentially their fourth-string quarterback in this game, and it's unfortunate. It was going to be a beautiful fall Saturday in Lincoln um, here for this game. The local businesses would have been buzzing. I mean, there would have been people in the crowd, but, I mean, that, that's what really gets me the most, Robin, is for the kids, the players, the city of Lincoln, just if Nebraska were to win this game somehow – I don't care who Wisconsin's quarterback would have been. It would have just been the state needs this right now. And everybody here, it would have boosted everybody right now to see Nebraska beat a Wisconsin team that has owned them. And had, they had a great opportunity to do that. And that's probably the toughest pill to swallow. Well, And like we, you and I were talking you know, earlier this week, it's you know, what's the theme been basically, especially since Scott Frost has been here is at some point, Nebraska has got to catch a break. You know, they that, about caught one. I know. And finally the stars aligned where, something was actually working out in Nebraska's favor to where, yeah, I mean, you could put an asterisk by that game and say, whoa, Wisconsin, this, 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 this. So what? And the game was played and Nebraska won. And Wisconsin was a top 10 team and Nebraska beat them. So, yeah, it's extremely unfortunate in a lot of different ways. And uh, regardless of Wisconsin's situation, winning that game does so much for Nebraska's confidence, especially, you know, you're trying to find all these positives out of 35-point loss at Ohio State to actually have a win where you're building off of, that changes the entire tenor of your season to where you're going into Northwestern uh, with a completely different mindset than you are right now. And suddenly you're looking at different all the rest of the games on your schedule is there's not a game on here that we can't win. Uh, so now that's off the table. Now they got to try and get that back on the road once again. And I saw a crazy stat where uh, Penn State will now be the sixth home. The fifth. Or fifth or sixth home opening opponent for Nebraska of 2020. Well, you had the original schedule, schedule two, schedule three. And now you take out Wisconsin. So they're the... The fourth or the fifth. Yeah, fourth or fifth. Either way. It's, <laughs> it's a lot. Yes. It's, it's, 
<laughs> just shows just what this year is. And the fact that the, here we are uh, not playing a home football game until November. That's November 14th, a, to November be exact. November 14th. That's a disaster. I mean, we're, we're almost to Thanksgiving. I mean, the Nebraska High School Championship game is a week away at that point from being played at Memorial Stadium before the Huskers get a chance to play in here. So fifth. It is their fifth. It is it is tough to think about it like that, and um, we're going to talk more about Ohio State and Nebraska. Uh, Nate Klaus is going to join us in those two segments, uh, but wanted to get to the the news first. But Robert and I have spent most of Thursday kind of chasing this down and staying on top of that story. The long story short, no game, and you know you, you have to respect Wisconsin's decision. I mean, it's their call. Um, if they don't feel that they have a handle on their COVID nineteen situation they have the ability to make that call. But it's the Big Ten at that point, you know, not allowing another game to happen. I think that's where the rub is right now um, because what happens if it's another team besides Nebraska that needs that extra game? What if it's Ohio State? They've already now set the precedent. And, you know, maybe it will come back to bite them. Probably not. And as Scott Frost said earlier this week, it's or maybe two weeks ago, it's really hard to be at Red Red. And Wisconsin's probably about as bad as you can be and they were only at orange red. Yeah. And he also said that teams that want to play can find ways to play. Teams that don't can find reasons not to. Wisconsin found reason not to. All right. Well, when we come back, I want to get more into Ohio State. I was in Columbus. Uh, Nate and Robin were back here and um, watching the game, following things um, as they played out. We're going to talk about what we saw with Nebraska's offense next. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washington, and Nate Klaus on joining us here on the show as we're going to talk what we saw from Nebraska. Unfortunately, we're not going to get to see them on Saturday, as we know, um, playing a game against Wisconsin or Tennessee Chattanooga. Uh, we'll see the Huskers next week now at Northwestern for an 11 a.m. game, the segment of the Husker Online Show Brought to you by Tanner Sports Bar and Grill. No Husker game, but still plenty of college football action. Uh, get on into Tanner's here in South Lincoln. They'll have all the games on. Great food, great beer. Um, still plenty of Big Ten football to watch. NFL on Sundays. Uh, check them out on 30th and Yankee Hill. Guys, um, I want to get right to it, though. The, the, a lot of eyes um, were on the quarterback situation for Nebraska. And, you know, what the plan was going to be and, I'll be honest, like I knew we'd see McCaffrey, but I thought the split was even more than I was expecting. I mean, it was 43 to 21 on as far as plays for each quarterback. And, you know, I predicted at least 10 plays for McCaffrey and, you know, he went 23. Um, so that, that really tells you what they think of his overall value, Robin. Yeah, and I'm glad they were able to find ways to get him involved. My one kind of hitch on it is that – it almost seemed like they were forcing the issue a little bit. Making like, him like a running back. Like doing way too much with, with him and doing so at the expense of your your proven commodities where Diedrich Mills just stopped being part of the offense. Wandale Robinson gets targeted six times. I mean, those are the guys that are going to win you games. I mean, as good as Luke McCaffrey is, he's still a redshirt freshman who was playing in his fifth ever college football game. I mean, that you can't make him the focal point of your offense and expect to beat Ohio State. Now – you know, maybe there's a big strategy behind that to where they wanted to put that all on film in a game they probably thought, you know, it wasn't going to determine the, you know, the entire course of their season. But at the same time, like the way they played in the first half, you know, I thought that they could have, uh, you know, had a game plan that you can sprinkle him in and not make him 
the focus of your entire you know play calling. So I don't know. We'll see what they do going forward. I'd be surprised if he is that big of a factor going forward in that many different ways. Uh, if anything, if you want to get him on the field that much, let him play quarterback. You constantly insist that he is a quarterback. He's a co-starting quarterback. Give him some real drives, real reps earlier in the game, and don't just use him as this kind of oddball mix and match, you know, Swiss Army knife guy. Yeah, and I don't completely disagree with you, but at the same time, he did make plays. He did. He went out there and on that first drive. Would Wandale have made plays? Well, yeah, I mean, he probably would have too. Um, yeah, and, and I agree. I, I mean, I don't think you can sacrifice one for the other, uh, but – he did, you know, in his first extensive, you know, action against probably the best team they've he's ever faced. Uh, he went out there and made some plays, and I was surprised by how early and often they got him in there. I, I didn't think, you know, I thought he was going to play, and and I'm with you, Sean. I thought maybe ten snaps or so, ten to fifteen maybe, um, but I didn't think it would be that early uh, or that often. And uh, he did go out there and make plays, but yeah, I think you you have to find a way. To get him out there involved without sacrificing touches to guys like Wandell and Mills and and you know maybe a Manning uh, if and when he gets entered into the mix too. I thought a real turning point was early in the second quarter during the second quarter when Martinez had the equipment malfunction. Nebraska had some really good rhythm going there, and you know they were very close to getting a first down they almost went for it on fourth down they then they sent the punter out there I don't I don't really understand the whole sequence there why they did that other than maybe the distance was longer than what they thought I think they thought it was fourth and one it was more like fourth and two uh, but that was a big moment I thought in that game when um, Martinez had to just abruptly come out of the game and I don't know if it was a chin strap issue um, yeah, so it, it looked like something with his with his helmet chin yeah, strap or something yeah, like the, the upper part like the like the snap had popped off or something like that so it was like they were scrambling to get that thing fixed on the fly but you know clearly it was something that needed a little more time and you can't do that against a team like Ohio State I mean that that's a you know you you're just your margin for error in a game like that is is very little and that moment, five-yard penalties, the fumbles. I mean, the game turned pretty quickly once Nebraska kind of started getting those small shooting themselves in the foot type moments. Then the big one was the the fumble recovery that was ran back for a touchdown. Oh, yeah. I mean, it started to snowball a little bit where, you know, Nebraska was beating itself just as much as Ohio State was. I mean, the the turnovers, the, you know, committing 90-plus yards and penalties, uh, you know, losing two defensive starters to, uh, you know, targeting calls. I mean, those are the types of things that – you absolutely cannot do, especially against Ohio State. And so, you know, as, as well as Ohio State played, you know, Nebraska did itself no favors with how it kind of just fell apart with stuff like that. Getting delay of games on your opening play of a drive. I mean, you just can't do that. I mean, that's it's inexcusable, and you are never going to beat an Ohio State team doing stuff like that. Yeah, I feel like there were – you know, maybe the like the last four minutes or so of the second quarter, and, and you know the the first four or five minutes of the third quarter when things were just kind of all out of sorts for Nebraska, that really really hurt them. Outside of that, though, yeah, I mean, I think they played. I think they played fairly well. Uh, I think we saw some improvement, or, or at least things that you that give you hope and say, okay, well, yeah, they're they're close to turning the corner, or they've maybe closed the gap a little bit with a team like Ohio State. Their overall play count count was only in the low 60s, and I mean that that took away a lot of opportunities. I mean, that, really, a Scott Frost offense needs to run between 80 and 100 plays to win a game, and you know when your play counts that low. 
you know, their their strength is wearing opponents down like they did at Illinois last year when they went over, I believe it was 100 plays or more, and the line I just, you know, couldn't even stand by the end of that game. And that's what they have to do to win games. We only saw nine passes thrown to wide receivers. Six of those went to Wondell Robinson, Levi Falk, Cade Warner, um, and then Alante Brown each got one. I was surprised we didn't see Alante Brown more. Marcus Fleming played a few more snaps than I was expecting. No Xavier Betts. Obviously, Omar Manning didn't make the trip. I think that wide receiver position, by the time this team goes to Evanston, is going to look a lot different. Well, especially now with a week off. I mean, that's more opportunity for these guys to continue to get those practice reps that they've missed, missed out, particularly Omar Manning. That was the one thing that, you know, earlier this week, leading up to the quote-unquote Wisconsin game that they were going to play or talk about was with Omar he needed to be on the field. He just needed to get his confidence to where he was going to be able to play up to his talent level. So, well, now you got four extra days to do that, uh, four extra days to game plan for Northwestern. I would hope that some of those younger wide receivers and, and Momar Manning are more involved in the receiving rotation because that, you know, our message board was full of posts and complaints and rants about Nebraska's usage of the wide receiver position and not only just not throwing them the ball, but you have all these you know, highly touted recruits coming in and you're not even putting them on the field for an, once again uh, as true freshmen. So I would hope that you know with the way that game went and you want to have a more vertical element in your passing game, you got to get your playmakers out there. And this is going to be finding that balance between no block, no rock, or <laughs> playing your best guys. Yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely a threshold there where – you have to, you know, sometimes you're going to have to sacrifice somebody who is completely reliable, whether, you know, regardless of what the play call is, whether it's a run and, and they're going to be asked to block or or whether it's, uh, you know, someone that can stretch the field uh, on, a pa- on a pass play. So, um, yeah, I think that if there is a silver lining with, the, with no game this weekend, that it, it probably is being able to get some of those younger playmakers or a guy like Omar Manning. Uh, up to speed and and having them ready to roll Uh, you know you've heard the coaches and and even some of the players talk about how uh, you know they need to get get their wide receivers the ball more get some more guys involved in the game and um, you know hopefully that's that's something that uh, is addressed and and that we see heading into Northwestern and we saw 13 offensive linemen see snaps in the game I thought that was a real positive considering the lack of overall plays ran Um, I thought one of the big stories was Ethan Piper ended up taking more snaps than Bo Wilson and I think that's going to continue I mean they really like Ethan Piper they saw something they liked where he ended up being fifth in overall snap count Bo Wilson was six uh, for his first start I thought Bryce Benhart played about as well as you could I thought Matt Farniak unfortunately did not have his best game for a fifth year senior but he's playing his first game at guard against Ohio State had a holding call that was pretty big a couple of sacks he let through the inside um you know, so that needs to be worked on with with Matt um, and, and going forward. Jurgens, I thought looked better, and then you know Hymas is Hymas. So I liked what I saw. Even Turner Corcoran got uh, a lot of snaps. Um, you know, for his first ever college game. And Nate, I'll let you talk about some of those lineman guys, the young guys. Yeah, I mean, I was I, I couldn't be more impressed with what I saw out of out of a lot of those young guys. They really lived up to their billing. Um, I mean, Turner Corcoran was one of the top rated, uh, most highly recruited offensive tackles in the country. And, and Greg Austin said heading into the game that, you know, he's he's come in prepared and, you know, he's he's very mature and he's going to play this year. And sure enough, against Ohio State, he gets in there and, and performs fairly well. You've, you saw Ben Hart, um, you know, as, as a redshirt freshman 
Um, you know, again, another highly recruited, highly rated guy come in, and, and he more than held his own, I thought. I, I thought that, uh, you know, if you weren't hearing his name called for penalties or holding, um, you know, that was going to be a success. And sure enough, uh, I don't recall a time where they pointed him out on the telecast as, as you know, getting completely beat or, or holding or, or causing penalties or just being offsides, you know, things like that where you might think, okay, this is his first time ever playing against a really good football team. Um, you know, so, I, I mean, I think the, the future is very, very bright. You got those two guys. You got Piper, Jurgens. I mean, um, you, there's a lot of young talent there that I think are going to be mainstays on this offensive line, and, and it's only getting better. I mean, Greg Austin has done a tremendous job of, of uh, really turning that position group around, in my opinion. Yeah, and I guess the best part about it is they did it against Ohio State. I mean, that is as good of a t- uh, defensive line as they're going to face all season. They don't have Chase Young, they don't have any Boses, but those are still NFL linemen that they more than held their own against, in my opinion. All right, when we come back, we're going to shift over to defense and talk about what we saw with the black shirts. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus talking Nebraska, Ohio State now as uh, we won't have a game here on Saturday, but lots to talk about as we got to see the Huskers play a game for the first time in really 11 months. Um, Unfortunately, came on the short end of the stick um, against Ohio State. But, you know, a lot of things to like. Um, The defense in general, um, you know, showed some areas of improvement uh, they, you know, they they were able to get one turnover in that game, if I'm not mistaken. Um, it was two to one. Ohio State won the turnover battle, uh, but you know there there were definitely some improved areas. I thought physically up front, the defensive line overmet my expectations. I thought Will Honus played a really solid game from all things. Caleb Tanner flashed at times, um, so there were some things right off the gun. But guys, Justin Fields is just that good. I mean, I I was thinking about it, Robin. We've seen a lot of quarterbacks play against Nebraska in about the last 20 years. Can you think of one quarterback? Like, we saw Josh Allen, who starts for the Bills. Would you take Justin Fields or Josh Allen right now? Well, as college quarterbacks? Cause, uh, I mean, no, if, 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 you could, if you were the Bills right now, would you keep Josh Allen? Or do you think Justin, Josh Fields is a better player? Josh Allen's playing some pretty good ball right well, now. Well, I know he is, He's, but I, I think I think Josh F- Justin Fields yeah, could, could I, be that good. I mean, Justin Fields is a top-five pick right now if he keeps playing the way that he is right now. Uh, but, yeah, uh, Nebraska's defense, in my opinion, did everything that it had to do to win that game. They made Ohio State relatively one-dimensional. Uh, first half, Ohio State was only averaging like three-some three, three points, whatever, yards per carry on the ground, and they forced Justin Fields to beat them. Well, Justin Fields is pretty good, and so uh, it's not the best plan, but it was the only plan that was going to work. Justin Fields just proved why he is, you know, a Heisman front runner going into the season. He was perfect on every pass, and because of Ohio State's uh, playmakers on the outside, Nebraska had to play so far back that it was just shooting fish in a barrel for him. And those, you know, 15-yard out routes were wide open, and Fields was just nailing them on and just making the right play time and time again. Uh, the way he was able to escape pressure, break tackles. I mean, that guy, he can do it all right now. And I didn't think there was much room for him to get better than what he is a year ago, but he has. I mean, that guy is legitimately going to push, I mean, maybe not for number one overall, but to be that second quarterback off the board and a potential top five pick when all said and done. Well, that's the thing about it is, I mean, he's special just by himself, but when you surround him with tremendous talent um you know he he it it gets taken to a whole nother level nebraska's defense 
like you said, Robin, I, I felt like they did a, a fairly good job. And, and you could tell, like, they were just wanting to keep everything in front of them. They were not wanting to, to get beat on, on the, big, the big play or, or get smoked deep. And, and, yeah, it did happen a time or two, but for the most part they were able to keep things in front of them. But, um, you know, when, when you've got somebody that talented, um, you know, kind of pulling the trigger back there, I mean, it's, I mean it, was, it was shooting fish in a barrel. Uh, and they were able to continuously move the ball down the field, um, you know, by taking what Nebraska was willing to give them. And, and uh, you know, it's luckily for Nebraska, they're not going to face another quarterback quite like that, uh, you know, this year. And, and uh, you know, I, I still think that there's plenty to plenty to, to like about Nebraska's defensive performance and, and some flashes from certain certain players on, on really all three levels. Robin, you might have Fields and Lawrence both in New York next year. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Uh, Are you Team Fields or Team Lawrence? No, Lawrence, all day. You're, I mean, so you're Lawrence over Fields. That guy's he's about as can't miss as it gets. I mean, like you thought, people thought like Andrew Luck and Peyton. I mean, I put him like in Peyton Manning category right now. Like he is like that surefire of a prospect. He's unbelievable. Joe Burrow, I think, is trending in that way too. Yeah. I mean, he's. I mean, the team's not winning games, but he's also playing for the Bengals, which are a disaster, and they're competitive. And so that's that's all you want out of a rookie. So, uh, quarterback play. I mean, you look at all the rookies that are slowly starting to make impacts in the league. So we'll see what Justin Fields can do at the next level because I think he could be a darn good one. Yeah, he's gonna be. He's gonna be pretty special. I mean. I don't think you can go wrong with Lawrence or Fields at this point if you're an NFL GM. That's what uh, the NFL said about uh, Peyton Manning and Ryan Leaf too, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah there, there are misses out there, that's for sure. And, you know, you can take a guy from Duke and six overall pick and uh, end up picking a new quarterback two years later. Yeah, that w- your uh, NFL draft season will be fun for you at least, Robin. It usually is. When you're a terrible team and you're picking in the top five every year, highlight of the year comes in April. All right, well <laughs> – Let's keep talking defense here. Um, Casey Rogers. I mean, I, I thought of all the new faces we saw, him and then Feldarius Payne. Those were the two that I'm like, okay, they got something in both these guys. And they only – Michael Severe on Bigger Wrap Up brought this up. There were only a few times in the entire game where Nebraska really played with three defensive linemen. They chose to go with 2D linemen and then bringing an outside linebacker and almost playing with two outside linebackers – um, in some place, three, uh, the way they kind of schemed it up with, with the different looks they were using. Well, that's kind of the luxury you have with those versatile guys. I mean, uh, Feldarius Payne was a defensive lineman a couple months ago. Now at outside linebacker, you can play him at either spot and not lose much ground either way. Same thing with JoJo Doman and you know, the defensive back linebacker combo. So that's one of the hallmarks of what they have defensively. You know, while there are a lot of questions with uh, that, that defense, particularly in the front seven, they got guys they can mix and match, it seems like. And, yeah, I mean, those guys did a lot better than I thought they would. I was really intrigued by Feldarius Payne, particularly. I think and, and Nick Henrich, too. I think those two guys uh, could be promising assets down the road as they continue to adjust into that outside linebacker role. But then on the defensive line, you know, being able to play guys in multiple spots inside and out, uh, there's a lot of combinations that Nebraska can use right now. And, in a year where there's no bye weeks and you just try, try to got to stay as healthy as possible, that could be a real luxury going forward. Yeah, the, the D line is what really stood out to me. I mean, the, you had a ton of bodies in there, um, and guys were playing at a really high level. And and, and especially when you consider they they were missing a couple guys that they really like. Um, you know, especially Jordan Riley, who's a JUCO guy that was that was getting a, a ton of praise uh, early on, especially. 
um, you know, throughout the, the off season and, and in spring ball when, um, you know, when we had a chance to sit down with the coaches. I mean, they all – everybody mentioned Jordan Riley as, as somebody who was going to be a big factor in, in that in that defensive line rotation. But, you know, that was the question is how, how's Nebraska going to be able to replace three NFL guys on their, on their defensive line? I, and I think they answered the bell pretty well uh, considering that's one of the best offensive lines they're going to face this year. And then, guys, looking at the secondary for Nebraska, unfortunately, two major targeting penalties that were that stood um, are going to keep uh, Deontay Williams and Cam Taylor Britt out now for the first half of the Northwestern game the way that penalty travels I mean even if you get one in a bowl game it carries over to the next season in the first half of that season Um, so it's I'll never forget Nathan Gary when he got his it was like in the final 10 seconds of the first half or it was like in the last and so he didn't have to sit out the first half of the next year um, when that was the year I'm trying to think that was the year um, he didn't play in the bowl game the next year was that 15 the good season for Mike Riley 16 yeah so oh, yeah, he, yeah, yeah. he got it in the yeah, UCLA yeah. 15 game but luckily it happened like in that's the, right that's right but yeah it, it's a tough penalty Nebraska will be without those two guys and that was another reason why that I think they really wanted this Chattanooga game oh for sure to burn the suspension on on that game you're okay missing those two guys against Chattanooga no disrespect to the mocks but that's the reality. You'd much rather have those guys ready to roll for uh, Northwestern. But uh, I thought that, you know, I mean, I, I'm a real big fan of Joel, Joel Klatt, and his rant that he had after those penalties was spot on in a lot of sense where, you know, college football, what are we doing right now? What do you want players to do, especially defensive players, when it comes to tackling? Uh, you want them to play this physical element of football, but – even incidental contact where it uh, glances a helmet, that's a penalty that not only is going to cost you a first down or yardage, it's kicking you out of the game and potentially for a half of the next game after that. So it is such a severe penalty with zero room for interpretation from the officials. It should be a play that should be reviewed and you should be able to make a determination on intent. I mean, you can clearly see there was a difference between Cam Taylor Britt and what, uh, and uh, Deontay Williams, and you could probably issue different penalties as a result of that. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think there's got to be varying levels of targeting, kind of like in the NBA where you've got a flagrant uh, or in basketball where, where there's a, different, a difference between a normal foul and a flagrant foul. I, I think that um, you know that's something that's got to change, and, and hopefully sooner than later. All right, when we come back, Robin Washett uh, and I are going to talk Nebraska basketball. Since we don't have football this week, still lots going on with basketball. We're waiting on a schedule, a multi-team event that will take place in Lincoln, as well as an update on five-star recruit Bryce McGowns, who Nebraska continues uh, to sit very pretty with. That's all next here. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett talking Nebraska basketball now. It has no football this week, so we're going to talk probably more basketball here today than we normally would during uh, the midst of a football season. But as you've heard at the beginning of the show, um, unfortunately, Nebraska's not going to play a game this weekend, Robin, but still lots going on um in the basketball world and you know you and I talked about this this week um the we've talked a lot about the MTE the multi-team event in Lincoln and why Nebraska formed this in the first place having this tournament in Lincoln or an outside group formed it with Nebraska uh, because of not trusting what was going on with ESPN and this big Orlando bubble situation well that bubble bursted Um, those games are not going to take place a lot of people scrambling for games 
how does that help the MTE here in Lincoln? Um, we'll see. I th- because before that even happened, Nebraska was at for sure uh, 11 teams, including themselves, uh, as far as uh, the, the field uh, of teams committed contractually to participate. And so I think they were, you know, at the time, only looking for maybe three or five more teams to get to either 14 or 16 teams. And, uh, you know, I know they'd already had conversations out to kind of fill out the rest of that field. Now, with the cancellation of that Orlando bubble, a lot more big name, you know, power six schools, like you said, are looking for games. And so uh, there was already a chance Nebraska or the the event, which was uh, Elevate Hoops is the, the company that's running it. They were looking for adding another power six school potentially to that field. Uh, and so, you know, maybe that kind of increases uh, the, the options they have to choose from. Maybe a few more calls went out. Uh, but at this point, I don't know how much it would directly change the dynamic of that thing outside of maybe one more uh, Power Six school. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show, and Robin, any word on when we're going to see a schedule? I mean, it's we're we're hitting November first here, and we just still don't have a schedule. Yeah, I mean, we're less than a month away, you know, a few weeks away from the scheduled opening night uh, of college, college basketball season, and we don't even know when Nebraska is going to play, if they'll be allowed to play a non-conference schedule, and what the conference schedule is even going to look like. And uh, I think a lot of that has to do with the Big Ten, uh, once again, taking their time uh, and doing their due diligence, trying to create uh, the safest plan of attack for their league schedule and debating on how much that entails playing schools from other conferences that are doing different things with their COVID testing and stuff like that. So uh, I think there's a lot of layers to it in that regard, and that's probably the biggest reason for the holdup. And then when you look ahead to the league schedule, uh, I think there's still conversations being had about uh, potentially having teams uh, like, say, Iowa comes to Lincoln uh, and spends three days in Lincoln and they play two games. You know, I think that's a real scenario where they're going to try to do back-to-backs to get as many games played in a short amount of a time in as controlled of an environment as possible. So I think there's just a lot of moving parts that are still to be determined. That is a reason why here we are going into November and we don't even know what the schedule is. And Robin, you mentioned something to me that was interesting um, a week or so ago about fans. And and we know the Big Ten, they, they could come in and say what they want on fans. But this MTE event is interesting because it's not going to be hosted by Nebraska, but it's going to be hosted in Lincoln, an outside group is running it. So you're under the understanding that obviously we're now in the red zone for COVID. It's hard to know what right. uh, crowd numbers and things can be by that point because it doesn't look good at this point today. But there could be some fans a lot of these games. There's a chance for sure. Uh, and uh, that decision, uh, as far as I know, will be made by local authorities. And as long as the city of Lincoln uh, and state of Nebraska are allowing gatherings at sporting events, then Nebraska and this Elevate Hoops company, they're going to do all they can to get fans in the stands. And I guess – uh, the last time I talked with you know, sources that are involved in putting this thing together, uh, they said that they're operating under the assumption that uh, the way it currently stands, they could have 50% capacity at these games. And there, there's a lot of loopholes that are going to allow them to do that. Like you mentioned, this isn't Nebraska's event. They are just the, the host campus. It is an Elevate Hoops event, a third party that has no affiliation with the Big Ten. Uh, so there, they can do their own thing. Uh, two, uh, Pinnacle Bank Arena is a city-owned venue to where, yes, Nebraska uses it, but it's the city of Lincoln that, that 
owns and operates it. So that uh, is different. They're not on campus, you know, so there's different, you know, ways to move around it from there. And also, I've heard that if the Big Ten still tries to come into this thing, they'll just say, you know, we're not going to say Nebraska's the host school. We're going to say Oklahoma State is hosting, or whoever it may be, is hosting a multi-team event in Lincoln, Nebraska, just to, like, get around that Big Ten <laughs> Big Ten uh, stranglehold they have on that sort of thing. So, uh, you know, we'll see. Uh, again, a lot of it just has to do with what happens within the community uh, and the, the spread of coronavirus and what uh, the, the regulations are going to be in place as far as what you can do. But if they are allowed to do it, they are going to do everything they can to have fans at that tournament. You're listening here to the Husker Alliance show, Robin, and let's talk some recruiting now um, for Nebraska. You know, we spent a lot of time about Bryce McGowan's and I think I'm in the camp of a lot of Nebraska fans probably listening. They're not going to get their hopes up because we've been down this road before, but things still look very promising with the five-star Bryce McGowan's. Yeah. I mean, it hasn't slowed down at all. I mean, Nebraska was one of the first schools that, just kind of obviously jumped in the equation because his older brother Trey is here. Uh, you know, he's got a good friend Elijah Wood on the roster, and his relationship with Matt Abdelmasi. But that relationship has continued to develop since he put himself back on the market uh, a couple weeks ago. They've been hold, holding, uh, I think, about a, a Zoom call every three days with him. They just had one on Wednesday night with him, and you know, things continue to trend in the right direction now. Uh, it's I would advise to approach this with cautious optimism. You know, while things are looking good, this is a five-star recruit we're talking about. And, you know, I'll just come out and say it. Some of the schools on his list, uh, they've been known to uh, go the extra mile, so to speak, when it comes to recruiting players. So there's always a chance that things can turn for the worse at the last minute. It's already happened in Nebraska a couple times. You know, again, you're talking about a five-star player in college basketball recruiting. Crazy things can happen. But, there's a lot of reasons why Bryce McGowan's would choose Nebraska and the fact that they've made it this far along and still appeared to be one of the schools in the driver's seat, if not the school, uh, that, that's, that's a pretty good spot to be in. And as far as practice goes, I mean, it's, they're a regular 20-hour week right now. I mean, Nebraska basketball is full-scale, 20-hour-a-week kind of preseason yeah. practice, right? Yeah, I mean, they're in full like preseason practice mode. So they had uh, 42 days, I believe, uh, for the November 25th first game. Uh, so – Again, we'll see kind of what happens with the schedule when that first game actually is. But assuming they play on the 25th, uh, then, yeah, they're, they're right on schedule for that. All right. Well, it's going to be uh, very interesting um, to, number one, see when the Big Ten puts out a schedule. Number two, what this MTE event looks like um, that they're going to unroll here, unveil here for yeah, Lincoln. I imagine it happens soon, relatively and, soon. And, I mean, it's kind of one of those things. It's written in pencil. You have it in your hands. It's just not been published publicly yet at this yeah, point i get that impression and then obviously bryce mcgowan so lots to follow with robin wash at nebraska basketball here on husker online uh when we come back we will close the show with some recruiting talk and nate klaus you're listening here to the husker online show this is huskeronline.com your authority on nebraska athletics final segment here of the husker online show sean callahan nate klaus Talking recruiting now as we wrap up the show, Nate, and um, boy, no game this weekend. It sure would be nice to go out and go for these Husker coaches to get a chance to go um, see some kids in person. And, and, you know, we're closing in, Nate, on a month away from that December signing day. And how scary do you think it is for a coach, an evaluation staff, um, to not really have seen any of these guys in a camp setting for the most part, or even a game setting, a PE class setting, a weight room setting. Um, I mean, this this recruiting class, 
when it's all said and done, there's going to be so many misses one way or the other. Well, yeah, that's one thing when, uh, in the spring I did kind of a, a confidential, um, you know, quiz, if you will, or, or survey, if you will, with, uh, with a lot of different coaches. I think it was like 20 coaches between, um, all levels of football from, you know, from power five all the way down to junior college. And that's the one thing nearly all of them told me is that this year there are going to be more busts um, than ever before. But there are also going to be some, you know, more opportunity to find, you know, the, the diamonds in the rough than maybe ever before as well, uh, because there might be some more local kids that you uh, that you've been able to see more than anybody else or that you've got a better connection with uh, or an in with their coach or whatever uh, that no one else is really going to you know, uncover. And so um, it's going to be really interesting to, to look back at this recruiting class, I think, you know, four or five years from now and see, you know, how just how well each staff did in in their initial evaluations because you're right there's been no spring evaluation period where coaches have been able to go out and see these guys in person Uh, there's been no camps there's been um, no opportunity to go out into the schools in the fall or or see any playoff games in the fall or whatever and so um, you know it's it's really gonna I think be a separator um, you know a couple years down the road this recruiting class just uh, you know based off of how well each staff is able to actually evaluate off just off of film alone you're listening here to the husker online show sean callahan nate klaus what is your sense i mean what is nebraska trying to do right now are they really moving some pieces for 22 are they trying to finish these final few pieces for 21 i mean what is your sense the fi- the primary focus for this staff is at this point yeah primary focus for this staff right now is defensive line because that's that's the one position that they have zero commits for at this point in the game and and uh although i think there are uh, there are a handful of players uh you know along the defensive line whether they're defensive ends or nose tackles that they're in on and so um you know i, I still think that we're going to see at least two maybe three uh, defensive linemen added to the class but um, you know I also get the sense that that they're they're going to be you know selective um, you know at, at some of those other positions you know whether it's it's um, you know the opportunity to take um, you know a, maybe a difference maker at linebacker or a difference maker at, at defensive back or maybe wait until you know that 2022 and, and maybe try to forge a, a, a relationship or or whatever um, you know and, and kind of go all in on a guy that they absolutely love for 2022 but because there aren't very many 2021s left out there that that they uh, feel really good about and so I think that's kind of the crossroads that we're going to see here or where they're at right now is um, do we do we continue to try to uncover guys or, or recruit guys that maybe were in the middle of our board, uh, you know, a month or two ago that that you know after things after players have fallen off they they've kind of climbed up, or do we go all in on guys for 2022 that we absolutely love and, and so or um, do we explore do we hold a couple spots back for for the transfer portal? Uh, I do think that's that's going to be something to to watch closely here too. So. Um, it's going to be very interesting to see, you know, kind of how these last few pieces fall together because they're at 19 commits now. And uh, I still do think that we'll see, you know, probably at least three or four commits uh, coming uh, out of the high school ranks here, you know, here in the next month or month or two, probably. True or false, we will see unofficial visits on campus by March 1st. 
Ooh, by March 1st. Um, I will say, I'll say true because I want it to happen. <laughs> I'm trying to but, speak it into existence here. I mean, January and February, I think we both can agree that's not happening. No, that's not going to happen. Because they're just not going to give anybody an advantage for 21. Yep. I mean, 21 is just going to be a big crap sandwich for everybody, and they just got to deal with it. Like, you're not going to have anybody on campus. Because, like, a team like Al, some teams that would wait, like in Alabama, or somebody that could hold off and wait to February to sign more guys, they could almost take advantage of it if they allowed, let's say, January visitors. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So, yeah, March 1st to me seems about like the best-case scenario right now. Yeah, I think that probably is the best case scenario. Um, you know, I, I know there's still recruits out there that are uncommitted in this 2021 class that are holding out hope that the NCAA will lift the recruiting dead period. You know, after December 31st, uh, because right now that's what it's that's what it's extended or been extended out to. But I just I don't see that happening whatsoever. Um, and and so. Yeah, the best hope right now is that for the 2022 class that those guys will be able to start taking unofficial visits um, in March and then official visits would would start up for those guys in in April on April 1st. So um, but even then, you know, I'm I'm still kind of on the fence whether or not that that's going to be a possibility or not for a lot of these guys. Yeah, And you just think about players in Nebraska lost out on by not getting him onto campus. I look, Terrence Lewis is one. I know um, he's committed to Tennessee, uh, but just guys like that. I mean, you, Nebraska has no chance if they can't get a kid like that on campus. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of guys. I mean, for that, that spring game visitor list was shaping up to be really, really big, um, you know, with a lot of, a lot of big name players on it. And, um, you know, and a lot of them, I know, say what you want about, you know, how things have transpired with a lot of the, the Florida recruits Nebraska's gotten lately, but a lot of them were going to be coming from, from that Miami area, um, you know, the South Miami area. And, and, um, and who knows, had those guys been able to, to get on campus and, and see the spring game and um, maybe, you know, if Nebraska was able to gain a commitment or two out of, out of that group that was supposed to be coming up, maybe it, it keeps, you know, Jaden Francois around or, or, you know, um, you know, some of these more, some of these other Florida kids uh, around a little bit more, keeps them more engaged. I, I don't know, but uh, yeah, there's, there's been a ton of players, a ton of prospects from all across the country, whether you're talking Florida, Texas, California, or anywhere in between that uh, wanted to visit, but weren't able to, and, and have now committed, uh, most of which have committed to, uh, to schools a little closer to home. Nate, I've heard this theory, and I don't know, I'd be curious, your take on it that Nebraska you know when you talk about a South Florida kid they may kind of steer them away from being early enrollees now just because bringing those kids up here in January especially with what we dealt with this year I think it was a wake-up call um, just in general um, the, the risk is far worth far far more than the reward in those situations yeah I couldn't agree more I mean I, I think that you know, bringing in—I mean, it's always kind of—it's always kind of risky bringing a, a South Florida kid in for an official visit in, in December or or you know later. Um, but then you're you're asking these kids to move uh, halfway across the country when when theoretically they should be you know uh, getting geared up for for uh, you know track practice back home or or thinking about who they're going to ask to prom. 
and and now all of a sudden they're starting starting college halfway across the country and and January and February are like the worst months in in the the Nebraska winter and so these kids are thrown into um, just <laughs> just the the and worst a lot part. Of them don't have winter coats. That, yeah, that, well, Kevin. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, they get all that. They get they get all that gear from from the. Uh, so they give them park. They give them a parka. Type oh yeah, of jacket. They, yeah. They get they get a ton of stuff. Um, you know, parka type jackets and and they get all geared out, gloves, whatever. But um, you're still. I mean, that's just you want to talk about a shock to the system. Um, they're leaving, you know, Miami where it's probably it, 80. Yeah, 65 maybe on a cold you know, day. on a cold day and then you're getting thrown into, you know, your wind chill below zero and and nothing but, you know, blowing wind and and ice and whatever and so um, that is is most definitely a culture shock. Nothing so. was worse when it was so cold that you would walk through and, um, Andrews Hall, the English College, just to walk through the hallway instead of the sidewalk. Mm-hmm. Then you'd go down the stairs and cross the sidewalk and go back in the next building. I think it was called Burwell Hall. Yeah, I think so. And you would just—it was so windy and cold by those buildings that you would walk through buildings just to not walk outside. Yeah, yeah just to avoid <laughs> being outside for for just a couple minutes. Yeah. It, it, imagine, and, and we grew up in Nebraska. Imagine being from Miami and and be just being thrown into that. And uh, you know, I, I mean, some kids are are able to handle it, but I mean, it is most definitely a shock to the system. So yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if going forward, a lot of these, you know, Florida or even any type of warm weather uh, recruit that that is potentially a, a mid year enrollee if they go ahead and and kind of delay that out uh, until May. All right, lots to follow here over the weekend. Um, Nate, Greg uh, Peterson, and Blake Arney are going to have full high school coverage of playoff games. So uh, make sure you log on, and obviously uh, we'll get you ready here for Nebraska Northwestern a week from Saturday. Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.